Welcome to yet another episode of Not a Bomb. Um, across the aisle from me, of course, is Mr. Brad. How you doing tonight, Brad? Doing fantastic. Happy Father's Day, Troy. Oh, thank you, and happy Father's Day to you. We are we are recording on Father's Day. Um, I'm assuming you had an awesome day with the kiddos. Of course I did. It was a nice, relaxing day. Um, I got to think about coneheads a lot, so you know, <laughs> whatever that means. Well, there you go. I mean, we we did the first episode and kicked it off with Children of Men, which was your pick. And since it's an even-numbered episode, I got to choose the film, and, and you just mentioned it. We're going to talk about Coneheads, um, which I'm really curious where this is going to go. So just, just to um, let everybody kind of who's listening in the know, this whole idea of this film actually started because of um, something that I was watching with, with my kids. Um, and, and my son, he was digging into everything that was 80s comedies. Um, and then um, a lot of the SNL movies, and in fact, uh, I ended up watching this as part of a collection where we got to watch Coneheads along with Wayne's World, um, Superstar, and The Ladies' Man. So we'll, we'll get to more about the SNL um, <laughs> history, but uh, this, is, this was something that Brad and I were texting back and forth, and we were surprised at how much we had to say about it, and... Um, I was the one that suggested this as as an early episode because there's there's actually a lot to this film. Um, Brad, was this your first time seeing it, or you you watched this several times, right? Yeah, I think this had a long run on HBO when I was growing up. Um, I'm sure HBO probably paid like twenty seven dollars for the uh, <laughs> you know the fees for it, and yeah. it was on all the time. I remember. You know, I haven't watched it all the way through in probably 20 years, but I've seen this movie, you know, bits and pieces of it probably 50 times. Um, just, you know, back in the day when it was on HBO, you just kind of watched it because it was a movie. So that's kind of my history with this movie. I've I've seen bits and pieces of it countless times. So, you, But have you watched it all the way through from start to finish? Uh, yeah, I, I did. So it's been forever um, since I've done that. And then last night was was the first time I watched it all the way through. And, you know, I probably, like I said, 20 years, 25 years, maybe. So, yeah. OK, um, it, it's it's definitely an entirely different direction from um, our first episode, Children of Men, which uh that film probably would have played uh, just fine in our previous um, podcast life when we were doing something like Movie Matchup, The Pretension. This one, um, well, let's just get into the background. It's it's a it's a film from 1993. Um, it prior to the film, the Coneheads was an SNL sketch that ran from 1977 to about 1979, um, and it was sort of the brainchild of Dan Aykroyd specifically. Uh, and one of the things that I discovered in doing a little bit of research, and I sent a link to you as well, is that in 1983, um, it was pitched as an animated pilot based on the SNL sketch. It was written by Al Franken and Tom Davis. Um, and this is the whole thing that floored me. It was directed by Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr., which I believe is the dynamic duo that put together Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That's correct. Yes. Um, so 
Okay. This, yeah, <laughs> this, this actually um, had a pretty fascinating uh, history before it made it to the silver screen in 93. Um, Brad, have you watched any of the sketches before? Did you go back and watch any of them? Even I've in- seen some of the sketches. Um, I will say like late seventies SNL is not my wheelhouse. It's uh, early mid nineties and then early two thousands like that 15 year run from like maybe 91 to 2005 is like more my wheelhouse, but I have gone back and seen a lot of the older stuff. Um, I never really found the Coneheads to be that entertaining. Um, the sketches. Um, yeah. They're, they're, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, they're. Um, but I will a, say it's an acquired I, taste. It, the, the SNL stuff, it 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 does. I, I'm sure cocaine would have helped. Well, I I think the story goes that like Dan Aykroyd came up with the whole concept um while he was on uh marijuana or something like that and you don't looking, say yes huh. <laughs> so um <laughs> depending on you know what you read in Wikipedia or whatever the internet is um. But, you know, it was popular enough that when you watch what you watch the old episodes and everything else, it, it kind of became a staple there for a couple of years um, with that cast. And, and we both watched the pilot. What did what did you think about the animated pilot? Obviously, um, it's it's going for the Flintstones sort of Simpsons vibe. Um, and when we get to talk about the film, we'll talk about how much from the pilot comes over into the film itself. But uh, what did you think about the animated pilot that was done by the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer team? It was quite odd. It's it's weird to see a cartoon from 1983 because it looks pretty bad, <laughs> and like there's a lot of sexual overtones to it. And I mean, it basically gives you the film in a 26 minute episode. Um, the beginning's a little different, but yeah, it, it's basically the movie. Yes, and it and it has the voice talents of Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin. Um, it actually pulls over the neighbors that happen to be in a conehead sketch. I think it's the Farbers meet the Coneheads. But um, for anybody who's interested, you know, it's 20, 22 minutes something. I mean, it's a typical, um, you know, TV episode that never got picked up. Um, I think when you watch the pilot, you'll find out why uh, the the humor <laughs> just doesn't seem to connect. And what's fascinating is some of the jokes that you'll see in there do kind of make it over to the film. And, and for some reason, it in my opinion, it works a little bit better, but yeah, that's, I mean, before, before it was a film, it was, it was sketch comedy that turned into sort of a failed pilot. And then, um, when the film came out, uh, in 93, it, it was a bomb from a box office perspective. I believe the budget was approximately I found it at 33. Yep. Is that kind of what you 33 and okay. worldwide was 21,274,000, something around there. Um, and critically, <laughs> this is my favorite. So it holds a 5.3 on IMDb, uh, 49% Metacritic. Uh, here, here are a sample of reviews um, from Roger Ebert. He wrote, oh yeah, I I, re- I read the whole thing. It <laughs> is yeah yeah. My favorite line: This is a dismal, dreary, and fairly desperate movie in which the actors try very hard but are unable to overcome an uninspired screenplay. Um, so some, some people tore this thing to shreds. Washington. To be fair, <laughs> Roger never really understood comedy at all. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently and he said that Tommy boy was one of the worst films he's ever seen. So 
to, to put it in perspective, I don't know if Raj <laughs> was big into comedy. Um, I will say one thing going against this movie as well is 92 was Wayne's world. So your previous Lorne Michaels production, uh, was one of my favorite comedies of all time. Um, and, uh, then you go to this. So I think they set the bar a little high with Wayne's world. And then, you know, the following summer you get Coneheads, which is to, to be fair, it's, it's, I don't know. It's not apples to apples. Cause this is an odd, it's an odd sketch anyway. Um, I guess I, you I, could elevator pitch this. I was just trying to say, like, you could elevator pitch this and it would make sense. So I guess it's really not difficult to explain, but I'm still I'm, odd. You bring up Tommy Boy. Um, there's a lot of films that starred um, that group of SNL actors. Um, you know, David Spade went off, did what? Joe Dirt, stuff like that. Um, it, there's a lot of, how do I say it, like SNL features but if if you look at the ones that were coming out with this cast about that same time period you know blues brothers to me and and um hopefully we'll get this loaded up um from the older episodes of the pretension we actually did a movie matchup and it was the blues brothers versus the commitments if i remember correctly that's correct um oh and by the way anybody who has a 4k player or any kind of you know dts x or atmos setup if if you want probably one of the best 4K movies out there right now, the the new um, version of the Blues Brothers on 4K is just downright fantastic. So fantastic picture. Um, that film has never looked better. And I'm telling you that the soundtrack, if you have the right setup, um, I, I did listen to it and, and watch it in DTSX. That is that's like my go to home theater reference disc now. It, it's. So my plug for is that. Is that the 40th anniversary one? Or? Yeah, it's it, okay. it's loaded with so many good features on it too. But I'm just telling you, forget forget all the extra features and stuff. That 4K is is probably my favorite 4K that's out there right now. Like I I actually if if somebody were coming over and you wanted to demo something, I'd be like, well let's just watch a couple of scenes of this because the musical numbers in there, and the picture quality for that older film just just spectacular but i digress so um that that's kind of like the original go-to snl film because uh and, and there's a whole history about the blues brothers that you know before it was even a sketch it was an actual music collaboration between belushi and Aykroyd, and yeah. it's very fascinating like the the whole um story of the blues brothers now it's not going to show up on not a bomb because it was not a bomb it was a 27 million dollar film that went on to make 115 million, and it is iconic uh, in American film history, in my opinion. Um, oh yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and so to, you just talked about Wayne's World. So that's 92, 20 million dollar budget comes out, and almost makes 200 million, right? 183 million. So is it no surprise with that kind of success that they are immediately looking for the next big thing to come out of that SNL brain trust, right? Why not Coneheads? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, to be fair, Dan Aykroyd, again, we've we've named a lot of stuff, but we haven't said, like, hey, also a thing called Ghostbusters. Like, you know, he yeah. has, you know, from that 80 to, I would say, up until now, like, he's pretty solid. So you're like, okay, he's going to be in this movie, and we're going to throw, you know, $33 million at it. Surely it'll make money. Well... It's it, so this is where I find it interesting because you you said it exactly. Wayne's World is this worldwide phenomenon. So it the sequel 
I think came out in December of the following year. So same year as Coneheads, right? So, you know, they green light that thing going to production. In between Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, you get Coneheads. Um, but let's talk about Ackroyd for a second. If you look at what he was doing leading up to Coneheads from a comedic standpoint, because the guy has a pretty versatile resume, right? When you look at all the stuff he's involved in. But leading up to Coneheads in terms of comedies, he does Loose Cannons with Gene Hackman in 1990. Have you seen that thing? I don't know if I have. Avoid it. It Okay. It is horrible. <laughs> and I I don't know how Gene did, Hackman got in that. Did he write did he write that or is he just actor? Uh uh good question. I uh let's search the internet. Um Okay. But I remember working in the movie theaters when that thing came out. And when you saw the trailer, you're like, okay, that uh, it doesn't look good, but um, maybe uh, there's something there. And I'm looking at it right now. It is Richard Christian Matheson who wrote it, along with Richard Matheson. And it was directed by Bob Clark. Oh, wow. Loose Cannons. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. So that's uh, Christmas Story, Black Christmas, Rhinestone. There you mm. go, Bob Clark. So <laughs> does Loose Cannons. It's horrible. Then Nothing But Trouble is in 91. So that's Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, Dan Aykroyd. What do you think of that film? I, I like that movie. Yeah, it's another I, one that gets like dumped on. And yeah. I think if you watch it now, it's it's so weird and quirky. Uh, but it, I think it's a lot of fun. Um, Sneakers, 92. with um, Boy, that was a huge cast, right? Robert Redford? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yes. Then, I, forgot, I forget about Sneakers. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Then, then Coneheads comes in 93. So you talk Ghostbusters, you talk about Blues Brothers. So these, these are iconic things from the 80s. You're getting into the early 90s, and you look at these films leading up to Coneheads. How how did that get greenlit after Wayne's World? Especially if you're looking at Aykroyd, what he was producing up to that point. Are you, are you asking me? I'm asking I have no you. Idea. Like, I, <laughs> I have no idea. I figure you have the answer on this one. I, I, yeah, I, I have no idea, especially after watching it. <laughs> okay. And then after Coneheads, he goes on to do Exit to Eden with Rosie O'Donnell, which is interesting. Which is another movie I remember being on uh, HBO all the time. Yeah, that, that was another one that was always yeah. there. Now, the SNL films, like around this time period, let's see, Coneheads, Wayne World 2 is in 93. That one I thought was a hit, but it was a forty million dollar budget and only made forty eight million. So mm. what is that? Is that is that a bomb? Yeah, I, I mean, especially coming off of one hundred and eighty million on the first one, I would just yeah, I would say yes, because you're thinking, oh, sequel, we're gonna make two hundred million dollars. Um, God, I think Wings World Two is not that bad. I, I it's Christopher. That's the one Christopher Walken. Yes. Um, I enjoy it. I mean it. It's a lot of rehash of the first one. Um, I, I think the first one's so fresh and, and funny. The second one had a tough act to follow. But I'm telling you what, the stuff with Kim Basinger and uh, and um, Dana Carvey in the second one is hilarious. Oh, Heaney Hornet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then so after Wayne's World 2, you get It's Pat in 94, right? Yo. Eight, $8 million budget, I think. Um, that was that was hard to track down. Makes sixty thousand eight hundred twenty-two dollars. What it play in like <laughs> four theaters or something? Uh, yikes! Um, Stewart saves his family in '95. Don't know what the budget was on that, but it makes nine hundred twelve million. Um, 
This one surprised me. Night at the Roxbury in 98, $17 million budget, but made $30 million? Yeah, that movie was kind of a big deal when it came out. Um, yeah. Because uh, Will Ferrell, right? That's yeah. one of his first? Yeah. That's uh, yeah, somewhat of a quotable movie. I remember that kind of being a big deal um, when I was starting high school. I, I barely remember it. I mean, I I remember the scene of them loading plants into the van, which I always thought was pretty funny, but I just don't remember much about the film. And then Ackroyd comes back in 98, and I think he does Blues Brothers 2000 with John Goodman. Nope. Um, $28 million budget makes $14 million. So Ackroyd strikes out there. And, and so the last two were ones, um, first-time watches for me because they're in this set with Coneheads and Wayne's World. Superstar 99, Ladies Man in 2000. Superstar, um, $34 million budget, $30 million the box office. Not a huge hit. But I'm surprised how many people like that film. I, and I did not know it was directed by um, one of the kids in the hall. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. Um, I, th- uh, I find that Bruce, movie Bruce unwa- unwatchable. It's, it, it's so tonally so weird. <laughs> Um, and the ladies man, uh, why that, how did that character get a full film? No idea. It, it, it bombed at the box office too. But I I kind of like funny scenes in that. I kind (laughs) of like that movie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I haven't gone back. I'm sure it's pretty bad if you, if we were to go back and watch it now, but yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I don't know. That's the hard part with these things. These, these movies are based on four or five minute sketches. And they have to, even this movie is an hour and 28 minutes. So you're not even a 90 minute movie. So you're trying to stretch four minutes into essentially 90 minutes. And it's really difficult. It is. It is. And and, and when you look at the other things, um, and obviously there's, there's tons, I'm sure, of other examples. Those are the ones that I gravitated to just for that time period, um, because I thought it'd be interesting to kind of piece together and maybe what they're thinking is yeah wayne's world huge hit what comes out after that i mean they're they're really reaching for everything right um so essentially like lauren productions when it comes to snl stuff there's blues brothers and wayne's world and everything else is kind of losing money for them it, it is yeah you, you know night at the roxbury i guess does pretty good but you're yeah. absolutely right i mean it's it, it feels like they took all of this profit from those films and just <laughs> threw it threw it to the wind man um the director that I never knew this, and this is something that you and I talked about, Steve Barron. So he was a camera assistant on Richard Donner's Superman. Didn't know that one. Um, he got his start directing more or less um, through music videos, like and did good music videos, like yeah. huge. Michael Jackson's Billie Jean, um, Aha's Take on Me, which yeah. is freaking, which like is one of, it's one of the best '80s videos ever. I would say if it's probably one of the top 25 videos of all time. Oh, hands down, hands yeah. down. And then Dire Straits, Money for Nothing, which was That might be on the list too. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, he directs the classic 1990s Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My first movie I ever saw in the theater. Seriously? Yeah, I was seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> Have you revisited it since then? <laughs> yes. I, I mean... That movie is really dark, and it is. I mean, they straight up murder Shredder at the end of that movie gleefully. <laughs> yes. But it's really good. Like oh, it's so it good. holds up surprisingly well. Um, 
And when we go, I just feel like people talk about like, oh, comic book movies and stuff. That one's almost like pitch perfect. Everybody forgets it. Like it's, it's not, um, it, it does a good blending of the original comic, uh, which I have like, uh, I, I want to say the first 20 like original issues. Um, and then the cartoon that came out about that same time, which is not exactly like the, the comic, the comic's a little bit darker. Um, but that, that film managed to kind of bridge both of them. And, and this is the same director that brings us Coneheads. Now, let's let's talk about the cast real quick because this is what started um, our our text going back and forth and and why coneheads kind of plopped up on our radar I'm, I'm gonna read everybody that's in this film um, Dan Aykroyd Jane Curtin obviously Michael Richards Seinfeld fame right yeah Kramer Eddie Griffin is in this Sinbad Phil Hartman Adam Sandler Michael McKeon, more on him in a in a second. Um, he, I, I totally forgot he was on SNL for a year or two. Um, and most people may know him from This Is Spinal Tap, which is a classic film. Uh, Drew Carey, I think this was his big screen debut. Another Seinfeld um, alumnus, Jason Alexander, is in this. This one surprised me, and you you gotta, I wouldn't have known this had I not read it. Joey Lauren, Joey Lauren Adams and Parker Posey are in this as uh, Connie's friends when they go to the mall. Oh, yes. 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 Okay. Uh, of course, Chris Farley. We'll talk about him in a minute. Kevin Nelson, Jan Hooks, Julia Sweeney. Uh, another debut here, Ellen DeGeneres. She, yeah, she she's was, a swim coach. I, I caught that last night and I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Has like, what, two lines or something? Yeah. Maybe yeah. three. And, and you, you got to pay attention like if, if if somebody didn't tell you that hey look for the swim coach and see who it is, um you, you'd totally miss it right. It was the voice. The voice gives it away, but like I never show her face really. Um, yeah. You know why would I mean she was a nobody at that point in time. I, I guess I mean she was a state of comic, but she wasn't Ellen at the time. No, she was not the the <laughs> famous talk show host yeah. at this time. Um Garrett Morris, uh, original SNL alum um lorraine newman as well tim meadows tom arnold i think has more lines than ellen DeGeneres shows up on the golf course in a scene um and john lovitz uncredited as the dentist that that sounds like everybody who ever was on the snl show maybe tried out for the snl show they're like did did you ever want to be on snl okay well we're gonna put you in a coneheads film it's crazy. Um, for '93, the, these there's a lot of famous people, man, in this film. I don't want to give away my take, but the cast is one of the best. Well, probably the best part about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I were are you you ready to get into it? So, full disclosure, this is. Um, well, I, I want to one more thing before we go on. Yes. Uh, did you see the films that came out around the same time as this? No, what I, now I know. So this was the year Ju- Jurassic Park was this year. Uh, yeah, but it, I was I was just talking more about July. Oh, okay. So we have Rookie of the Year on July seventh. Great movie. Yeah. Um, In the Line of Fire on the eighth. Oh. Uh, Free Willy comes out this month. Um, and then you have Hocus Pocus, um, Robin Hood Men in Tights. 
Poetic Justice, and then So I Married an Axe Murderer. So you have a lot of film, a lot of comedy-ish movies in this month. Um, and I think that might have something to do with kind of taking away um, some of the uh, box office from this movie, because I think most, if not all, those movies are better than this one. Oh, um, what? Huh? What? No, no, no. <laughs> if did Okay, you put a movie... So In the Line of Fire, I get. I, yeah. I love that film, etc. But when you say Hocus Pocus is better than this film, there's seriously something wrong with you, because Hocus no. Pocus is terrible. Well, yeah. Sorry, okay. Internet. Hocus Pocus is stupid, and the fact <laughs> they're making a sequel is stupid. That that The movie's horrible. I'm sorry. My, <laughs> my family loves it. Well, I shouldn't say that. Cameron, my son's in the... And we, we were forced to watch it, and... Oh my gosh! Uh, rookie yeah. of the years. Rookie of the years better than than this movie. Um. <laughs> well, maybe maybe for me because I <laughs> I was know, a I was a young Cubs baseball fan, lad. Yes, yes. I yeah, was okay, a young I'll baseball lad. So, will you give me Robin Hood Men in Tights. Is it better than this movie? No. Okay. Are you nuts? But so I so I married an axe murderer is way better than this movie. Um. Yes. yes. It's inconsistent. Uh, so. So I Married an Axe Murderer has some just belly laughs in it, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, little inconsistent, but yes, I, I will give you overall from a comedic, like it striking the funny bone, it, it hits hard. Okay, so we can get into it now. Sorry. You can get into it now? Yeah. Oh, I did look up. So that's interesting because this, I, I just looked top five domestic for the year, Jurassic Park, The Fugitive was number two, The Firm, Tom Cruise, Sleepless in Seattle, Mrs. Doubtfire. So... The biggest comedy of that year, I guess, would be Mrs. Doubtfire. Man, all that came out in 93. I didn't know that. That was a good year. It was a good year. Um, so let's get in. So full disclosure, um, when when Brad pitched this idea, the idea was to talk about films that we think don't get, um, what, enough exposure? Yeah. Um, people, you know, kind of dismiss. Uh, they bombed at a box office, bombed from a critical standpoint. Maybe both in this case. Um, but we also said right out of the gate, we probably would not be in agreement because as as Brad brilliantly came up with a rule, he picks the uh, odd episodes and, and I get to pick the even ones. So we were both agreement on Children of Men. We, we thought that was brilliant. It's the first one out of the gate. Uh, we have no idea. Where, well, I know where I'm going to land on this, but I have no idea how you're going to land on this. So, Brad... Let's let's get into Coneheads. What do you think? One of the so the the best part about this movie is the cast. The cast is 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 pretty. It's like playing Where's Waldo. Um, you can just kind of point out, oh, there's that guy. There's that guy. Oh man, I really miss Chris Farley. Like he was so he's so good in this movie. Awesome. And he's so even as when he kind of does some jerk stuff, you're like, but oh, it's Chris Farley. Just get back together with him. <laughs> um, you know, and then there's this kind of, kind of funny scene with Adam Sandler and there's a few scenes in here that I, I find are humorous. I wouldn't say funny. I think that's my biggest problem with this movie is I don't know if I really laughed all that much. I, I didn't find it very funny. And when you call yourself a sci-fi comedy, part of the thing is you got to be funny and <laughs> it, uh, Kind of failed at that um, challenge. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'll, I'll say this: it, you you mentioned sorry, married an axe murderer. So there there are a couple scenes in there, especially you know with the is it the Scottish father? 
Yes. Uh, I mean, th- those are just fantastic. They're very quotable. And I, I don't think there's anything in Coneheads that rises to that level of comedy to where you're just, you know, going nuts and you're replaying a scene over and over again. There, there is one scene I find in here that is extremely funny. Like, do you think do you think chewing on a condom and calling it bubblegum is funny? No. I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that every joke hits, but <laughs> I, I'll say this. I, I still find it to be funny. It's, it's just... It's got a lot of chuckles and it breezes through the comedy and and it's got this sweetness to you to it that I think wins you over at some point, especially the that, the. That, that's fair. Like the movie is, it's like a cupcake. Like it's really sweet and it's you know it's over quickly. Um, yeah, it's not. There could be some parts where it could be mean spirited because you know they're foreigners. But it really doesn't go that far, um, you know. There's like no hate crime or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you its sweetness, if you want to agree on that. All right, yes, we we are in agreement on that. So we're, so we're back in alignment here. I still I still think it's a funny film. It, it's not gut busting funny, but um, I've watched it twice. And you know what's hilarious is the second time I'm watching it, um, getting up early in the morning, just threw it on on my day off and and the wife comes in and and she's she's watching like i don't know 10 minutes of it as she's getting ready because i'm watching it uh in the bedroom and she's watching a few scenes and she's just kind of chuckling um as she's listening to it and she's seen it before too so to me that's that's the reaction that i get from this film is i can put it on there's a couple of scenes that do make me laugh out loud um but i think it's consistent like it doesn't get boring. I'll, I'll say some of the stuff at the end when they when they go off planet. It drags there, in my opinion. But I think um, consistency through the whole film, it's a lot smarter than I think people give it credit for. Um, you talked about Chris Farley. I think Chris Farley, like when you watch him in this film, you know exactly why they wanted to make Tommy Boy. Um, especially David Spade. I mean, he, he plays just the best straight man you know in a comedy um next to michael mckeon but chris farley is so good in this uh and he's so awkward and it's so painful but yet you you just you're you're right there with him right yeah he's he's so lovable in this movie it, oh that's a good word lovable it, yeah it breaks my heart every time i see him in something it's just like gah we got robbed of so many great movies from him yeah, he's he's he walks around like a ball of contained chaos, right? He's, and those scenes where he's just sweating. Um, I've, I've I think that's the only film I can think of in a long time where you watch somebody sweat on the film and you feel like, ugh. <laughs> you just feel it, right? Yeah, when he when he interacts with uh, Beldar on the golf course, it it's one of those things where you're just like, man, this is the most awkward thing I've ever seen in my life, and he plays it so great. Or they uh, when they get busted for using the the sensor rings. Yeah. Um, and he's just, his hair's all you know he's got that Chris Chris Farley look hair all messed up just beads of sweat coming down and he just looks um, totally out of it and the way he plays that off is is just fantastic. Um, Michael McKeon. Um, so one of the things that we we've talked about in the past is um, Im- immigration. So this this film did pick up some notoriety. It's it's one of those that I think people kind of talked about and said, hey, do you remember Coneheads? And um, it, it has this little immigration thing going on 
uh, as a subplot or driving plot. One of one of the I don't know if it's the main plot, but it, it provides the the you know Michael McKeon to be the villain of the film. Yeah, it's because, the B plot. I mean, the main plot is them for to get you know rescued and yeah, and then B plot is the whole immigration stuff. Yeah, you're right. Yep. So um, there's some scenes with Michael McKeon. That again, uh, I, I would say, just like when we watched Children of Men, um, you're, you're watching that film, and obviously the grittiness, and 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 as we're discussing it, you're going, wow, this is this is getting to be um, so realistic, right? Back back at that time period, it might have been a little far fetched, and you're like, ah, we'd never get there, and 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 now you look at the current environment, and you go, wow, there, there are so many similarities. I thought it was funny though that in a comedy that came out in 1993, when they're talking about building a fence and putting it underground and putting collars on people <laughs> and if yeah. they they cross the border and then come back and you know we send them a jolt i'm sitting there looking at that and um and, and you watch some of the speeches obviously from the administration uh, for the last couple of years you're like oh my god did did they look at this film and go well, this is this is a pretty good blueprint like yeah. um we should try some of this stuff out guys <laughs> uh and michael mckeon i mean you know if trump lost about 120 pounds and he, I don't know, 10 years ago, he probably, you know, Michael McKeon, I think, I think goes for, you know, that sort of, uh, what Trump imitation. Yeah. I, the immigration stuff is really, again, it's not that, uh, extreme to where it, it's difficult to watch like children of men, but oh, yeah. it no, does, no, no. it does like, there's the scene where there's like a boat of, immigrants and he's like go back to your country where you came from you know the united states is not going to and there's no jobs available they're not gonna like i forget he says something and it's pretty profound and you're like oh man this is you know they're still going places and you know and i guess coming from another planet you're you know the ultimate foreigner um and they show you know Beldar like trying to get a social security number and, you know, having to go meet Adam Sandler. And so, you know, it, he's just trying to make it in this country. And, and one of the, you know, the, the bad guy in the movie works for, was it, I forget what the four, I forget what they call them in the movie, but you know, essentially he's, he's the immigration office yeah, and he's, yeah. he's trying to climb the ladder by busting, you know, specifically Beldar and, and the name that they use because it's being used by, you know, 27, 28 other people in the last year. But yeah, there's that that whole scene of them standing on a boat with the megaphone, go back, we, we don't have any jobs for you, we can't take you in, etc. Or, you know, um, I, I've, the whole uh, getting appointed for some kind of um, committee or, or running something in Congress and they're asking him, why did you spend, you know, $250,000 or I forgot what it was, million um, on chasing this one guy? And it's it, it the spending and all the resources and everything um, really take him down a notch. And this Michael McKeon character, while it's done for comedic effect, and I think he's really good in the film, him and David Spade play well off each other. It, it is funny because you're watching that and you're going, well, this is supposed to be a comedy and yet these things that are coming out of this guy's mouth are the things that you're hearing on the news, which is a little bit eerie too. It's not, it's not as dramatically eerie as like children, the men, but it is one of those things where you go, well, you know, that administration had to look at some of these ideas and go, <laughs> yeah, let's put a collar on them so they can't come back in. And if they do, we zap them. I mean, 
It's crazy. And yeah. of course, that's what happens to him at the end. Obviously, when they go, you know, get yeah. kidnapped and go to the planet, they end up I did find collars. that kind of funny that at the end he's wearing a collar. Um, it it took my you know older brain to be able to like put two and two together. When I was young and seeing that, I never put that together. And I was like, at the end, I was like, oh wait, he's wearing a collar and wondering how he likes it. You know, sort of something like you know now he has to think about think about what you've done. Um, yeah, it, but. You know, I'll say this, that the movie, I think, is a lot smarter about um, what it says in immigration than people give it credit for, because his first job is in a pawn shop and he's, you know, cash under the table for working for Sinbad. Right. Yep. And then he graduates from that to what? Being a taxi, um, taxi cab driver. driver. <laughs> yep. So um, and they're well, saving. and then he goes he goes in from like living in like a mobile home and then living kind of in like a makeshift apartment. And then, you know, eventually he moves into the suburbs. Um, so he's like always climbing the socioeconomic ladder. Um, you know, then he becomes a member of a country club. So, yeah, it's like this. It, it does have some smartness to it. Um, I will say it's a little bit. I don't know if it's offensive or whatever, but of course, he like moves next to some white people in the suburbs. And, yep. you know, so whatever. Well, it's but a, I mean, it's it's you know, Beldar and Primat represent, I I think what what the writers were saying, and and this comes through, like you said earlier, it's in the pilot, right? Um, th- this is more drawn out in the film, but they represent everybody chasing the American dream in the '80s and '90s. I mean, even in Michael McKeon's office, it it was hard to tell like when does this film take place, because you you get a lot of '80s references. There's, yeah, it's you know, a lot picture. of Reaganomics in this. Yeah, and, I picked but up. then you hear the Red Hot Chili Peppers on the radio when you know Chris Farley's making out with her. Um, but you can you can 100% see throughout the script and in the background they are they are putting Reaganomics up there and Beldar and Primat are are just chasing that American dream. And I think the script is really smart about saying, hey, you know, here are two people that they they come in here thinking they're going to take over the world, like literally take over the world. Um, they assimilate. They chase after this dream, and then the last half of the movie, like you said, when they they move into suburba, sub, you know, a suburban house, they find the stability, um, they join the co- the country club, they find this comfort that they're providing, you know, for their family. All of a sudden, it's not about taking over the world, right? He's it's a small about, business owner, by the way. Oh yeah, it's a small business driving school, so he's a driving instructor, um, and his whole motivation at that point is is not to take over the world but to protect the stability and comfort and the excesses that he has gained um by playing you know the the reaganomics through the 80s and 90s i think that says something like i, I think he's he's talking about very slyly and i could see Ackroyd doing this and i don't know if this was like um something that he specifically pushes in the script but I could see him putting something in there and saying, look at all these people who come in and want to take over the world and they work their hardest. And then when it push comes to shove, at the end of the day, they just want to protect what they have. And, it, and it's the American dream. And, and I will say one of the best additions to the movie is Connie. Um, yes. Having her in the film. So she is born in the United States. She is a U.S. citizen. She has no ties to essentially we'll call it the old country. She, you know, only wants to, you know, be an American. That's all she knows. And, you know, right now we have this whole DACA dreamer sort of thing. It's like, are you a citizen? 
if your parents bring you here, well, in her case, if, if you're born here to foreign parents. Um, so I found that very kind of enlightening this time to see Connie in this position of, I don't care where we came from. I just want to fit in here now. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that's really smart in having that character kind of be the push and pull of, Hey, I don't want to go back to where we came from. I want to be here because this is all I know. Um, really helps the film a lot and, and helps it say a lot about, you know, assimilation and things like that. So, yeah, and, it, and she provides, I, I think what I said earlier, the sweetness of the film. I think her relationship with her parents. Um, I So there there are some things that ring so true to me in this film, and I think it's because um, being a dad, and I think you, you're you there too, probably not to the degree I am because I'm in the teenage years, right? Um, but, you know, let's, let's talk about Connie's birth for a second. That is absolutely hilarious to me. Like, th- that is the one scene... Um, where I think it's Sinbad and I, I can't remember who else is standing on the end trying to filming it, but you know, when her water breaks and I mean, it just, it, it's total excess, right? And yeah. then they go through the birthing scene. It's Eddie Griffin, right? He's recording. No, it? It, I, it was the other, uh, cab, cab owner. Um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. But that whole sequence, what, what, and I, I think I've told you the story. So, um, what I always crack up about my, my first child born is, um, in my head, now I know it wasn't as dramatic as Coneheads, but um, after it's all said and done, it felt like that, right? <laughs> Where <laughs> your wife is cussing at you and is like, never going to happen again. And it's just so icky and gross. Um, and I remember specifically my, my daughter, uh, who's the oldest who was born, um, you know, I'm, I'm the dad with the camera and I, I was getting woozy because of all the the stuff that was happening. And I, I swear I paid attention to all the classes that we took beforehand. I, I, I know I did, but when, when they handed angel to me and, you know, <laughs> cut the cord, do all that other stuff. Um, and I'm sitting there towards the end of the bed, probably, you know, in the, the danger zone and I'm, I'm holding her and the doctor's like telling Tabitha, okay, we'll push again. And I'm like, put what well, the baby's right. You know, and you turn around and you see what happens after <laughs> I was not ready for that. And I about passed out. So that whole sequence, um, to me is hilarious because that's, that is exactly how I felt during the birth of my first child. Now, child number two, I knew to stay back you know, at the top of the bed and not even go down to the, to the, you know, DMZ or whatever you would refer it to. But, um, that's what I find really funny about the film is it takes something that I think dads who have been in that experience and it cranks it up to an 11 from an excess and it, and it plays to it. And I think it works. Not for me. Cause my, both my kids were C-section. So I have zero context for that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, why I, are yeah. we sharing all this on yeah, the internet? I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> and and the the whole thing about the uh she has a tattoo on her or not a tattoo but a uh sticker tattoo a decal her... he calls it a decal a decal a, de- a decal decal yes which is what the Canadians say yes that that whole sequence I'm like yeah living that that's been there that is hilarious but to me it's it's those little scenes that um it it provides a sweetness it provides context and I I think that's where you're chuckling. Um, especially if it's relatable, you know, from the fathers out there. And, and like I said, I think it's a smart script because 
by the time you get to the end of the film and and you see the bond that he has with his daughter um and and even you know primat i i i think um jane Curtin does a really good job in her scenes especially the intimate scenes you know with connie um and and just the whole uh, just the whole relationship really sells the film for me yeah um I also want to talk about the Return of the Jedi part of this movie where <laughs> he fights the Rancor yes. because it's totally Return of the Jedi. Like, Is it Garthok? Nar- Narful the Garthok? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, so eventually they get back to the planet and he defeats the Rancor, which I forget, you know, what they call it in the movie, whatever, but it's totally Return of the Jedi. And th- he wants to come back to the planet to take over, which was kind of his original mission. You know, he was sent to, yep. to conquer the planet. So, you know, then they kind of fake, uh, taking over the planet. Um, they act like they get blown up and now they're here to stay. And, you know, uh, Connie and Chris Farley, you know, get together and go to homecoming and blah, 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 and have, you know, live happily ever after. You know, the, I think you said it correctly. Like, this film is really sweet. It does say some stuff about um, immigration. And, again, I think the addition to Connie and some of the kind of the cleverness about how they show, you know, Beldar kind of always trying to move up the social economic ladder. And, and, and he's always being chased by these, you know investigators because he's you know doesn't have a green card or he doesn't have a social security number um that all plays really well um just my only thing is like i don't really find this very funny and when i saw that this movie was a hundred or an hour and 28 minutes i was like well it can't be that bad it's not even 90 minutes so yeah that's my take that it's it's less than ninety minutes. So it <laughs> that is that the bad. most lukewarm review. <laughs> I've, it's it's not really funny, but it, but yet you, you I'm gonna go back and listen to this again because you said funny a couple of times. So if you go back and listen to this, I hope you eat your words. I mean, Chris Farley. You said Chris funny. Farley's just a funny guy. So then it's the hard movie's not, funny, Brad. Well, he's funny. The movie isn't overly funny. Maintain it's, lone tones. Maintain lone tones. Yeah. <laughs> I found that stuff kind of a little bit awesome drawn out after a while. No, it's it was, funny. It was a little just, just when he's, when he's making his little, like the things I chuckle at is when he's playing golf and he's, he's lining up his shot and he's looking, he's look. I mean, it, it it's all of the, um, it, how do I say this? It's not, it's not the broad comedy, right? This isn't, it's got broad moments to it. So you, you mentioned the, uh, chewing gum condom thing so those those punchlines don't land and, and there's broad comedy throughout the whole thing but i'll say this it's it's the little itty bits where they take it to excess and even do it um gosh this is this is doesn't make sense but it's the subtlety of the excess that i think uh is really where the chuckles land in in my opinion and some of these lines i mean when Obviously, they they uh, Subway was paying for some advertisement in this film because that's where they go on their first date. But you know, she swallows that sandwich, and he's like, "My mom's the only other woman who I know can take a sandwich like that." I mean, yeah, that's, so that made me laugh out loud. Which made me like inevitably think of Happy Gilmore because like Subway's a big sponsor of that movie. It was like early, like what was Subway doing in the '90s that they needed to like 
sponsor all these movies. I don't understand. That's a good point. I'm so now I'm gonna Google that. Like early '90s, how many times does Subway, Subway end get up brought up? Yeah, in a film. Um, that wow. I, we should have researched that. No, yeah. I just <laughs> I uh, connect the dots. <laughs> there's something going on here. No, I just I I really like it. Like you said, I think people may um, take this film and, and do the sort of Where's Waldo of all the people in it. Um, to Which me, it's fine. Those, yeah, like, th- but to me, it's one of those films. Like if if, if it's on, um, I'm going to watch it and laugh. And I was I was pleasantly surprised when my wife comes in and just sees ten minutes of it and. She's chuckling too, and to me that 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 is uh, probably the best review of the film. You're gonna you're gonna watch it. It's gonna be light. It's gonna breeze through, and it's it's not Wayne's World. I mean, to have this as a follow up to that, it wasn't gonna make Wayne's World money. Um, but I'm telling you, I'm looking at this list of others, uh, and and even you know, I laughed at some of the ladies' man, Night the Roxbury, a couple things. I don't. I don't think I've ever seen it's Pat or Stuart saves his family. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, it's not a bomb in my opinion. I, I think it's a really good lighthearted, sweet film. And it's, it's super smart in my opinion. Super smart by me. I think might be a little bit of a stretch. Call it's it I mean, super smart. Brad. We'll, we'll say it's, it's a smart film that got some things correct. Um, early on. And now it has the benefits of being looked at in 2020 vision and saying, oh, wow, you know, it was really saying something. And again, it's satirical and it's it's not, um, you know, like a scathing indictment of, you know, immigration or anything like that. But it does say some things and, and, and they do hit. And I think that it's. Um, Definitely helps that the current environment sucks so bad <laughs> that you, you cannot can... say that because the environment sucks so bad. This is a great look. The environment wasn't this bad. I still think it'd be a funny film. No. Yeah. Yes. But it, it helps that the suckage is so bad <laughs> that you can look back and say, oh, you know, we used to think foreign people were kind of funny and they were going to come take our jobs and blah, blah, blah. But now it's a little bit, you know, again, it's this movie's saying some stuff about immigration, but still inoffensive. Like, oh, yeah, again, again, there's no hate crimes like Tom Arnold kind of almost gets there on the golf course because he's like, yeah, oh, hey, check check a look at this guy. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't (laughs) probably wasn't acting. He was probably like, check out this guy, you know, but again, it's inoffensive. It got some things right. Um, again, I really enjoy the Connie character because I think that really is kind of what I enjoy about this is the fact that, you know, she comes here, she's born here. She doesn't really have a choice. I think that storyline plays with me more than the Beldar stuff. Um, I just think it's interesting to kind of think about being a first generation American when your parents are aliens. I think that, you know, inherently is just kind of funny to me. So, yeah. um, again, is it rightfully a bomb? This might surprise you, but you know, with just the cast alone, I mean, it's kind of hard to say this is a bomb because there's so much talent 
like attached to it. It's hard to be like, oh, this is rightfully so a bomb because the movie's not great. But I think the movie can still be not awesome, but like the performances are pretty good. You get to see Chris Farley and kind of David Spade, like proto Tommy Boy before like, and you can see Farley's kind of putting together his character and Spade basically plays the same kind of smarmy guy. Yeah, um, it's, it, 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 that's a good point. It is basically Tommy Boy is taking the two characters from these films, or this film, excuse me, and and lining them up into their own. Um, and you can see why Tommy Boy works. Um, yeah. Because I yeah. think it works here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, and again, you're playing Who's Waldo with like all these people and, and there's, it almost works better as like a vignette movie in a way. So you can to me, it's like, oh, you have the the Sinbad scene where, you know, he's putting together stuff. And, and then the Adam Sandler scene with getting his uh, social security number. And then you kind of have the uh, John Lovitz, I'm a dentist, you know, the dentist scene. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, so if you kind of just kind of go from scene to scene and you're really not worried too much about much of the plot because it's a fish out of water kind of plot. Um I think it works a little bit better. Like, is it fair that it's like a 35% on Rotten Tomatoes? No. <sighs> okay. Okay. The people, whoever is going out there and saying it's, you know, 35% for it, you're all crazy. Um, or you don't, you don't have enough joy in your life because this film does not deserve these reviews or this ratings. So now one and a half stars from Roger Ebert, I think is funny because I don't know if he had a funny bone in his body. Um, you know, I, I don't want to like say this movie's, I, I don't know, Troy. I'm sorry. I just, it's, it's not great. It's not a great movie. But I'm not, I'm not saying it. it's a good film. Like, yeah. I, I, I think. And there's think, nothing wrong with being middle of the road. Like, hey, guess what? I, I this guy little, got. I think it's a little like, oh, it, it doesn't get into the stratosphere of something that's going to be one of the most memorable. But to me, this is one of those films that when people go through. I mean, you, you sit back and you think about all the films that are out there on a Netflix or Hulu or whatever you can go from a streaming service. And and I don't know how you watch this. I mean, I, I watched it on DVD because it was, it was part of something that we had. Um, but it's one of those films that I think people gloss over and go, ah, that, I heard that thing was a turd and don't watch it. And to me, I'm like, no, 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 th- this thing's actually pretty good. Um, it's not just good. It's pretty good. It's not great. So it's, what is that, in between the... I, I think I read it got a, uh, what is that, cinema score, audience score of like a B+. Plus. This is a B+. Plus. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I go, yeah, this is, this is a B plus film. This is a C film. Oh, this is please. a This is a, hey, I'm just trying to skate by and get a C no. so I can graduate. No. Yeah. Yes. No, wrong. Yes. Which is weird you saying that when you go back. I'm telling you, when you go back and listen to this, and you're like, oh, Chris Farley was so funny and blah, blah, blah. <sighs> you're killing what? me, man. Well, okay, so is is it a bomb? In your opinion, is it a bomb? I don't think so. Okay, no. good. That's, stop there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I want to hear. It's not a bomb. It's not. It doesn't it doesn't deserve solely because the cast is so great. And it's a good film. And it's saying some things about some stuff that it happened to get right. And it's a good film. And it's an okay film. <laughs> It's not, right, I'll, I'll per, it's not a 35 per. It's not a 35 and it's okay. not a one and a half star from Roger Ebert. Um, now, no. Troy, oh, I, Lord. I, I, I think that it's. Yes. Um, yeah. 
I don't I don't want to like come crashing down on you, but it, it's when one of the features of a, a movie is, hey, it's not very long. It's only they can't even <laughs> they can't even have enough material to make a 90 minute movie. This is a hundred or this is an hour. It's 88 minutes with credits. Uh, so but, hey, look if it tells the story and does its job and gets out, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I'll, I'll give you this. I mean, it it is basically an they took an 83 um, failed animated pilot, put additional scenes in there. So the vignettes that you talk about, clearly, I mean, it's taking that pilot, putting vignettes in there, and I think it works. But I, I will never judge a film on its length um, unless I go. You either um, didn't spend enough time telling a story, then you, I think you can criticize a film for that, or you spent so much time invested in this film, and then you kind of leave and you go, well, there's about 30 minutes that just, like, meh, what, why, right? If a film gets in 88 minutes and does its thing, makes you laugh, and um, at the end of the day goes, here we are, Take it or leave it. What did you think? And you go, what? Well, that's a pretty good film for whatever it is, the time commitment. I'm good to go with that. Now, if it was if it was 88 minutes and I left and I go, man, there's a lot of stuff that I wish they had done with it and they could have done X, Y, and Z. It should have been longer, right? But I, I don't feel that when I watch this. It, it told us jokes and it, it exited. Yeah, but the Remy like stuff kind of sucks. It's not the good. Yeah, I didn't want to see Dan Aykroyd in that outfit either. I mean, and you could tell he's walking around sucking it in, so... Yeah, <laughs> which yeah, he is exactly what I would be doing. So. Yeah, him without clothes on is no. That's you know you can't unsee some of the some of the things there. Um, okay, so not a bomb, right? That's what we're agreeing on. Yeah, it's a half-hearted not a bomb for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll take it. I will okay. take the win. All right, so um, I guess we are curious for anybody who's listening. Your opinion, if you like Coneheads, if you've seen it, if um, I'm raising my I'm raising my hand. I do have a, the soundtrack is not bad to this movie. So oh yeah, I went back and listened great. to it. So there you go. Soundtrack better than movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, if um if you disagree with us and totally think well I'm off my rocker and is giving this film too much praise and, and you're in the Roger Ebert camp, send us a note. Um, if you agree with us, um. Even Brad's sort of half-hearted praise, uh, we'd like to hear from you as well. So the, the whole idea of this is to start a conversation, right? And um, my personal hope is you do go back and revisit this thing because I, I think it is worth uh, a little bit of attention and love. So. And I don't know if I would disagree with that. That's not a wholehearted like agreement, but I would say I don't disagree that maybe you should go back and, and watch it and see for yourself. So maybe I agree with you more than what I'm trying to lead on, but I think it's important to, to go back because in the grand scheme of SNL movies, this one might be like a top five just by default. So <laughs> Yes. I, it's yeah. gotta be in the top five out of all the stuff they put out. Yeah. There. Yeah. So let me add, what's, is, is what's your number one out of the SNL films? I all, so I came to blues brothers a little bit later and I know it's kind of the, the, like the pinnacle, but I'm going to put Wayne's world one and then blues brothers two and then everything else after that. <laughs> yeah. Probably Wayne's them. world two after that. And then again, everything else after that. So yeah, I I'm with you. Wayne's world and, and blues brothers are, are the pinnacle of it. Right. Um, blues brothers is, is my favorite over Wayne's world, but that's, um, 
I think that has more to do with the the music, right? I think Wayne's World is, um, I don't want to say it's funnier. Yeah, no, it's still Blues Brothers. I think is a little bit funnier. Um, Illinois Nazis never get old, right? It just, yeah. <laughs> that whole thing is. There's just so many good things about Blues Brothers, and then on top of that, you put in one of the greatest soundtracks that ever came out of film. On top of it, I mean, the Wayne's World soundtracks not don't sleep on that either. No, it's it's good too, but I mean, yeah. you, you get freaking Aretha Franklin and Ray Charles for goodness sakes. I mean, come on. I mean, hey, Tia Carrera, I'm I'm cool with you know her rendition of uh, Ballroom Blitz. That's cool. Alice Cooper, I, yes, uh, Queen, yes. I believe Red Hot Chili Peppers is on the Wayne's World soundtrack as well. So yeah, I'm just yeah. I I look, they're both great. Um, and I think Wayne's World too is is better than what people say. We have like 40 mil- films on our list. I don't, I might add Wayne's world two to that at some point in time that we talk about it because I think it's unfair that it's kind of lost in the shuffle. Um, but that's for way down the road. No, I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd love to revisit that one. Cause I, again, that's another one that if you look at the numbers and, and scratch your head, cause I remember seeing that on opening weekend and, and thought it was really good. And, uh, uh, I know I recently watched it again like a year ago and laughed really hard um, during a couple scenes. So that that one kind of surprised me. But yeah, I mean, Blues Brothers to me, there, there are so many iconic things with, um, you know, again, not just the music, but all of the little sequences and even the excess that John Landis puts in that thing. Uh, it, it just can't be topped. Um, but if hopefully we'll get that episode uh, uploaded because I want to go back and listen to that from like eight, nine years ago when we talked about that in the commitments, which I think is another stellar film um, that yeah, just agreed. doesn't get enough love. That that one may end up on Not a Bomb because I, I would love to spend more time talking about that one. Yeah. So on the movie matchup feed, um, we're kind of going back and re-uploading one. I'm going to do like one a week for a while and then um, see what happens. Um we had some ideas about what we were going to do with that. We're probably just going to post them on our website and put that feed out there as like a retro feed um, and just let it live out there in perpetuity. So um, those will be coming out once a week. I try to do them like Monday morning. Um, don't tell my real job that I'm doing that, but you know. <laughs> yeah, well, who knows? We may we may record some new ones if we uh, if we I don't know find some time and, and yeah. get inspired. Right. Right yeah, now we've exactly. got like. A gazillion movies to to champion from a not a bomb perspective, which brings us to the next topic. Brad, we're getting into episode three, which makes it an odd number, and um, that's your choice. So, what what are we gonna? So we're staying we in the sci-fi comedy, but we're gonna add in some horror, Ooh. and we're gonna look at the 2011 Joe Cornish film Attack of Attack the Block, which um, I haven't seen in a long time, but I Me remember. Neither. Um, yeah, I, it's again, Joe Cornish, and I think this movie might be put on our list too, um, also directed the kid who would be King, which was woefully underviewed. Um, I think it was 18 or 19. Nobody saw that movie. Um, I, uh, I love that movie. So hopefully we get to put that movie on here, but we're doing attack the block. Um, I'm curious to see what you think. Um, John Boyega stars in this movie, so you know we get to talk about Finn before he was Finn. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious to hear what you think about it. Um, and it's very topical because I think I read something the other day that uh, Joe and John were in talks to do a sequel 
um, or we're kicking that around. Yeah, so, kicking it again. I think um, again, this we'll get into it more. I could see that the sequel kind of living in like development hell for a long time and this kind of going away um, just because I don't know. I, I will I'm not going to you... believe there's going to be a sequel until I'm literally watching it on the big screen. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you the same way. I, I think that's one that gets kicked around and, and I'll give you a little pre like, I'm, I'm so happy you picked this one because um, the last time that I saw it or the, or actually it might've been when it just came out on Blu-ray. Right. So um, the, the thing about it was there was so much hype when it, was going to be released and I remember watching it and there were a lot of things I liked about it but after I watched it I was kind of like that's it um so I'm very excited to go back and revisit it because I think it's one of those films that what happened in my head versus what I ended up seeing it wasn't a one-to-one match I don't know if that ever happens to you. Yeah, yeah. But then when you go back and revisit again, you go, oh, well, this is this is really going for this, and I was expecting something different. And... Uh, yeah, that happens more than I'd like to admit. Your preconceived notions on what you're hoping to see and what you actually see are so different that it's jarring and it's hard for you to kind of appreciate the film for what it is and what, as opposed to what it's not. Right. So well, that makes total sense. Yeah, I'm excited. That that's a fantastic pick. So. Um, if everybody wants to play along, go find a copy of Attack the Block, and that's the next one we're going to tackle, um, possibly a week from today. Yeah. Good job, uh, Troy. I'm no, proud of awesome. you. Oh, thanks, man. I'm, I'm <laughs> proud that you finally gave in to the fact that Coneheads is a, it's a good movie, right? It's, it's an okay I'm, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there. <laughs> um, what other details do we got to share? Um, we're on Twitter. We are, um, not a bomb pod. And then our... Uh, email account is not a bomb pod at gmail.com. If you want to get any sort of questions, comments, suggestions, um, we have some ideas throwing around for some theme months, October for sure. Cause Troy and I both love horror movies. So we're hopefully going to put together some nice, you know, horror movies for October. Um, it's not even July yet. And we're already looking forward to October. So that kind of tells you where our mind is. Um, yeah, uh, we have a website if you want to go kind of check out uh, movie matchup stuff as well. Um, that's a separate feed. Just kind of search for movie ma- matchup on all your, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and then obviously this feed. Um, tell your friends if you enjoy. That's always nice to kind of spread the word. Um, yeah, what else? Yeah, write tell in and tell out. us what you think. I mean, um we already had a, the the first 10 lined up, I think, when we were kicking this around. Um, and I think that's already changed for me um, when I do my number four pick, just based yeah. on a conversation. So I'm, if anybody wants to throw us anything that um, they think is not a bomb and they would like to hear our opinion on it, we would love uh, to you know tackle uh, anything, especially that we haven't seen. Um, oh, for sure. I, yeah. So. Um, and we'll start uh, having guests as well, um, get a third opinion. Um, but we wanted to kind of lay the groundwork with us two first. Yes, we're we're uh, what dusting off the cobwebs with episode yeah, number two yeah. now. So yeah, no, it was fun, man. And as always, uh, absolute pleasure to talk to you. And um, happy Father's Day, Brad. I gotta say it again, man. It's uh, 
it's awesome to know you and, and I know you're a great dad and I, I just love following you on social network and, and hearing all the awesome things you're doing with your kids. So yeah, man. I, I get excited about holidays like this that celebrate the, the really uh, the good guys. See, I told you, you're the nicest guy. Everyone knows. I am <laughs> not. I'm the second, second. nicest guy. Who's, so who's the first that we have to like go hunt down? I don't know. Yeah, we're <laughs> going to find him. Jackie Chan? Or oh, maybe? yeah, of course. Yes, probably Jackie Chan. <laughs> All right, well, hey, with that, um, we will talk with everybody, I guess, in a week um, and look for another fun, exciting episode where you get to hear Brad go, "Eh, it's all right. (laughs) 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 All right, we'll talk to you guys later. All right, see ya. <laughs> Maintain lone tones. Yeah. That's my favorite line. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that derailed quickly. Okay, here we go.